Welcome to Mississippi Speaks. I'm your host, Evan Brown, and today we're going to have a critical conversation about education here in Mississippi. Our panelists today are going to dive into the impact that legislation around critical race theory will have on our students and educators and really everyone here in Mississippi. But before we dive into that, I want to share something with you that was shared with me. So without further ado, let's dive in. Teachers are important. Teachers are vital and critical. Teachers are necessary. Teaching is an art and a science. The science of teaching is the subject matter and the width and depth of knowledge which a person possesses of the subject matter. The art of teaching is the motive and creative ability that a person uses in the delivery of the particular subject matter. Teachers produce a ripple effect on the person, the community, the culture, the society, and the world. In 1941, an enterprising young man enrolled in Lanier High School in Jackson, Mississippi. After graduation from high school, this young man was able to attend Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, and graduated in 1949. This young man became a historian and journalist for the Atlanta Daily World and later editor for Jet Magazine. And later, he would become executive editor of Ebony Magazine. Realizing the effect and impact of teachers on the lives of students, Lerone Bennett Jr. will recall from his days at Lanier High School and Morehouse College how integral teachers were in his life. Lerone Bennett Jr. would remark that the information and images that people see influence how they feel and ultimately how they act. There are two sentences in the preface of the first edition of Lerone Bennett's book, Forced Into Glory, that would be even more specific regarding the effects and impact of teachers on the lives of people. Bennett states, I should have said also that in the same period and later, I discovered another history in the classes of great black teachers at Lanier High School in Jackson, Mississippi and Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Among those teachers were great artists like M.V. Manning, Melvin Dow Kennedy, Robert Brisbane, E.B. Williams and Benjamin Elijah Mays, who turned white American history inside out like a glove and made great figures like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman dance on the runway of my mind. Ron Bennett wrote nine books. One of the most popular was Before the Mayflower, A History of Black America. In 1991, a young lady, a 10th grade student in Waterloo, Iowa, would get an opportunity to take her first black history class in her life. And the teacher, Minister Ray Dow, would encourage her to read Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr. Minister Ray Dow would encourage the standout to read and write about the world as she saw and experienced it. Little did the teachers at Lanier High School or the teachers at Morehouse College know the impact they would have on Lerone Bennett Jr. Little did Lerone Bennett know how integral he would be in the life of Minister Ray Dow. Little, little did Minister Ray Dow know the influence and impact his teaching ability would have on the 10th grader, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Ms. Nicole Hannah-Jones, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, as well as a Pulitzer Prize recipient, influenced and impacted by a long line of teachers who, by the art of teaching, would make images, ideas, and concepts come alive and dance on the runway of her mind. Ms. Nicole Hannah-Jones, through the 1619 Project, and her understanding of the necessity and importance of teachers has turned white American history inside out like a glove and passed on to others that which was passed on to her. Why is that story so important? For starters, with all of the critical race theory talk, it's hard to engage without at least thinking about Miss Hannah Jones's 1619 project. I don't think there's a better example presently of turning white American history inside out like watching clips of school board meetings, Fox News, and even here in Mississippi, a state with so many critical needs, the governor stated in his state of the state address that tackling critical race theory was one of his top priorities. But more importantly, we share this story because it was shared to us by Mr. Frank Figures, who wanted to remind us of the power that education holds in our society. Even in my own personal life, I would say that education has had a liberating effect in my life. I smile thinking about this because one of the most popular shows out currently is Abbott Elementary. And one of the most amazing things about the show, besides getting stuck, if someone tries to give you drugs, punch them in their face, stuck in your head, is learning that the show's creator, Kington Brunson, was inspired 
to write the show because of an amazing teacher she had when she was young. Thinking through that, thinking about her inspiration, reading what was shared to us by Mr. Figures put me in a reflective mode. And it takes me back to picking up a book and handing it to my grandma and making some comment that the book would be boring. Because the book, as a young kid would say, was a chapter book. It didn't have any pictures. It wasn't something that I would find interesting and ultimately I thought was boring. But my grandma would immediately respond and say, you can't judge a book by its cover. And in the most literal sense, that's what she meant. I couldn't judge this book with no pictures and say that it was boring. But she would soon follow up and say that there would be people out there who would judge me by the color of my skin and think that I couldn't read the book or read the book well because I was black. But she would always remind me that they would be wrong because she made sure of it. When I was younger, I remember having to sit down and read while everyone was out playing. I would sit down at a table and read with a, a woman who would come by and do exercises with me. I'm not sure why, but as a kid, I just remember being upset that I had to sit here and read while other people were outside playing. Now I know that my grandma wanted me to do this because she knew how important education was and wanted me to know as well. But little did I know this would be a seed that she would plant into me and that would later blossom later on in life. It would soon blossom when I was in college sitting in African-American literature and our professor, Dr. Patrick Alexander, walked in and asked, how do you find freedom in captivity? Being a logical thinker, I would remember being puzzled by the question. And in the context of this discussion, we were discussing slave narratives. So in my mind, I wasn't sure how someone who was enslaved could find freedom when they were confined to chattel slavery. As we moved through the reading list, I slowly began to approach the question from a different perspective. And the book that helped me get there was the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. In one passage of the book, Frederick Douglass describes what happens when his master catches his wife teaching him how to read. And he writes, At this point of my progress, Mr. Odd found what was going on and at once forbade Mrs. Odd to instruct me from further and from other things that it was unlawful as well as unsafe to teach a slave to read. To use his own words further, he said, if you give a nigger an inch, he will take an L. A nigger should know nothing about but to obey his master, to do as he is told. Learning will spoil the best nigger in the world. Now, said he, if you teach that nigger, speaking of myself, how to read, there would be no keeping him. It would forever, he would, he would forever unfit him to be a slave. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. As to himself, it could do him no good, but a great deal of harm. It would make him discontented and unhappy. When I read that passage, I found it interesting that this oppressor, this master, would link Frederick Douglass reading and learning how to read and learning how to write. He would link his self-esteem to this. But on the flip, when Frederick Douglass heard this and experienced how upset that his master was when he found this out, he would say, these words sank deep into my heart. It stirred up sentiments within that lay slumbering and called, to, and called into existence an entirely new train of thought. It was new and a special revelation explaining dark and mysterious things with which my youthful understanding had struggled, but struggled in vain. I now understand what had been to me a most perplexing difficulty to wit, the white man's power to enslave the black man. It was a grand achievement and I prized it highly. From that moment, I understood the pathway from slavery to freedom. For some reason, that passage and that interaction stuck with me in that class and again helped me bring some perspective to the question of how do you find freedom in captivity? Also, the seed that my grandma planted in me so long ago began to, to blossom. I gained more perspective when I read Native Son in another one of Dr. Alexander's class. When I read Native Son, it completely changed me. And the reason why was the main character, Bigger Thomas. There was something, something that he said, that something that I read 
that for me, it under it, it rose in me something that I could feel. I understood what he was talking about. Now, in the context, a bigger commits a heinous crime and in no way could I understand what it felt like to commit such a crime. But when he explains to another character, Mr. Max, why he did what he did and the reasons leading up to it, I did understand. Listen to what he tells Mr. Max when he's detained and Mr. Max is there talking to him. He says, they draw a line and they say for you to stay on your side of the line. They don't care if there's no bread on your side. They don't care if you die. And then they say things like, like that about you. And when you try to come from behind your line, they kill you. They feel they ought to kill you then. Everybody wants to kill you then. Yeah, I reckon I was feeling that way. And then maybe, maybe the reason was because they say it. In a strange way, I felt what Bigger was describing deep down. I share that to say that in those classrooms, a new world was open to me. Similar to what Mr. Figures described to us, what Lerone Bennett described to, to everyone in his books, the world that was open to him at Lanier High School and Morehouse College. In Dr. Alexander's class, I was able to explore and add perspective on what it meant to be black in Mississippi. It was also in Dr. Alexander's class, I would also read two of the most important books of my life, Worse Than Slavery by David Oshinsky and Brothers and Keepers by John Edgar Wideman. It's through those books that I learned that my uncle, who had served over 25 years in parchment, and my brother, who was incarcerated at the time, were not just troubled kids who needed an extended vacation to help them get better or to go on vacation to help them build character, but possibly they were targets of a vicious system that absolutely needed to profit off black bodies and shackles. It was reading those books and learning in Dr. Alexander's class that would set me on a pathway that would land me in hosting this episode today. If you're wondering why you got a story time and a trip down memory lane, it wasn't for no reason. But when I see this critical race theory talking, I see our state leaders responding in the way that they're responding, I can't help but think about the way that Frederick Douglass felt when his oppressor was trying to regulate his self-esteem by trying to limit his ability to read and access to accurate information. Or I can't help but think about how state leaders want to limit our young people from seeing what Bigger Thomas saw and from putting to words and actions to what Bigger Thomas describes before it's too late. And those actions being removing the lines from around us to be free and become whatever it is that we want and having access to the right information to be able to do it. It could be that they are scared that the loved ones and the formerly incarcerated will see that the system that we have only diminishes and that the the loved ones are formerly incarcerated and the formerly incarcerated will start to imagine a new system that restores instead of destroys like the one that we have. Maybe they want to block us from seeing the reality and they're working hard to do that. But most importantly, we must explore this deeper so that we can have a better understanding. And so without further ado, let's talk more about critical race theory. We have a conversation sponsored by One Voice and Mississippi State Conference of NAACP. Uh, today, we're excited um, about this conversation that we're having um, is, as you've probably seen, the title is a critical uh, conversation. And we say that a little tongue in cheek, but it's absolutely um, something very serious. So I'm sure if you've been following in the news or if you heard the governor's state of the state address, that something that um, leaders in Mississippi are trying to attack or are saying that they want to address, and that is critical race theory in our schools. And so today we just wanted to unpack that and figure out uh, what is critical race theory? Is this something as a threat to our education system, as they say, or is this just something that um, they're repeating or trying to uh, influence and uh, ignite their base? Um, but beyond that, um, this is something that we've seen before. And so we have two excellent panelists, uh, people who have been studying this, doing this work every day. 
um, excellent historians to talk to us a little bit about uh, what this is, the impact that it can have on Mississippi, and not just Mississippi, but uh, Black students across the state. And so without further ado, I would like to introduce our guests. And so first up, we have Dr. Kareen Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson has been involved in education her entire life. She taught grades kindergarten through graduate school in the states of Mississippi, mm -hmm. Illinois, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and internationally as a senior technical advisor with the Liberia Teacher Training Program, a funded project of the United States Agency for International Development. She also served as an educational consultant to the countries of Ghana and Namibia. Dr. Anderson was the first person to receive a doctorate in early childhood education at Jackson State University. She served as she served as an assistant professor, dean of the Division of Education, special assistant to the president and provost and vice president of academic affairs at Tougaloo College. She is currently curriculum development specialist and lead researcher for the Negro in Mississippi Historical Society. Um, welcome, Dr. Anderson. Thank, Thank you for joining. You. Thank you. Next, we have John Spann. Uh, John is originally from Columbus, Mississippi. John has lived in Jackson metro area since 1997. Shortly after graduating from Mississippi State University with a BA in history, he joined the museum division staff of the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. During his five years with MDAH, he became an integral member of the curatorial team for the two Mississippi museums. Span now serves as program and outreach officer for the Human Mississippi Humanities Council. He oversees and develops council conducted programs such as Ideas on Tap and the More Perfect Union Initiative. He also aids grantees in obtaining grant funding from the, from the Mississippi Humanities Council. In addition, he cultivates partnerships with educational institutions, nonprofit organizations, and community groups to guide grant applications and promote uh, the Mississippi Humanity Council's programs. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us. And I didn't mention uh, before, but we uh, we also have Chauncey Spears. Uh, Chauncey Spears is an engagement coordinator, facilita facilitator with the Alluvial Collective, Collective, formerly the Winter Institute. He holds a BA in sociology from the University of Memphis, with graduate work in sociology from the University of Missouri. Currently, he is completing a master's in public administration and public policy from Jackson State University. He is a married father of two and a proud active brother of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Thank you for joining us, Chauncey. Thank you for having me. All right. So, um, in this conversation that we're having, I think the the best part, the I guess the best part for us to start is what is critical race theory? Is something that we hear on the TV? Is something that we hear at school board <laughs> meetings, <laughs> uh, clips of school board meetings on the internet? And so very very often we're hearing about this in terms of something that we already know, but I don't think a lot of people actually know what it is. And so. Um, I'll let Dr. Anderson take a stab at it first. So Dr. Anderson, in your opinion, what is critical race theory? Let, let, let me begin by saying I'm an amateur semanticist and words fascinate me. And every five to eight years, people come up with new terminology for the same old thing. And, and my, my grandmother used to say, now what y'all used to call that uh, in, in terms of when new words come around. So again, this is something that's really fascinating to people. The sorry part of me for me is that it's an academic concept. It's like over 40 years old. And, and it was an idea that came about because people were examining the basic tenets that were legal, legal analysis. It actually was, uh, who was it, Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, who came up with the study of that, trying to figure out what aspects of society were affected by the things that we're doing legally in terms of, of the race theories. And so that's how it started out. Now, I'm not going to try to you know, denigrate anybody or demean anybody, but I think sometimes in the public, when we pick up a term, we take it and run with it. And because there's so much illiteracy in the country, we don't go and explore it for ourselves and research it. It's all over the place now. And I think it's a firebrand to scare people 
not just to incite people, but to scare people into reacting to something they really haven't understood. It's, it's an academic concept. It's legalistically oriented. And, and John, do you have anything else to add? Mm. Yeah, I, 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 what, what Dr. Anderson said is, is true. Um, there's nothing to, to, to d dispute about that. Um, but also to add that, you know, it's the belief system that the United States laws and concepts are tied to race and prejudices in, in various ways. Um, and we know that this country has been built on that and thrives on it. And, you know, that's it is it is what it is. And so it's the understanding or the the, the trying to understand how the United States is functioning um, in ways of like housing and and um, schools, schooling and, and, and various things like that, our day to day lives and how it's tied back to race. And Mr. Spears. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Dr. Anderson and, uh, and Mr. Spann have, have done a great job of delineating, you know, the actual critical race theory and, and, and what it is. Um, um, I like to relate it in terms of a, a, a concrete example of Plessy versus Ferguson and um, and and how um, that 1896 court case paved the way for separate but equal public facilities. And, and so we see where a legal um, uh, precedent uh, helps uh, promulgate a, a, a Jim Crow system in our in our country. And, and we see that happening over and over again in history. So so the critical race theory actually asks the question, you know, basically, you know, well, why does racism and, and racial hierarchies and racial inequalities persist in our country, especially after uh, the passage of the Civil Rights Act? Uh, in the 1960s. And so, so I think that that's what it actually is. Now, I'm pretty sure our conversation is going to take us to what we're actually debating uh, when you talked about the school systems and you talk about the school board meetings and you talk about these book bans and things. It's two totally different things. And so, so that, that's why I think it's important to establish what critical race theory actually is as opposed to what's actually being discussed or debated uh, in these various public forums uh, that we see around the country. And the church said, "Amen." Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Anderson, you said something that I think is very important, and what Mr. Spears uh, talked about is that when you said, Dr. Anderson, that you know older folks to say, you know, what do y'all call that now? And so, and as Mr. Spears helped us sort of understand that critical race theory is a legitimate thing that is, you know as all of you have defined, but that's not what we're talking about in Mississippi, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from y'all's point of view, uh, what are we talking about, right? When we hear the governor say, this is one of his most important priorities, uh, when you consider the critical needs in Mississippi, uh, when you hear the speaker of the house, when you see, uh, like I said, these these parents at school boards, what are, what are they talking about um, in your opinion? May I, share some, may I share something that just happened recently? Um, the Mississippi Department of Education, actually, it's a long story, I'll get to it later, had people to come down and make comments on, on this new social studies curriculum uh, that they're proposing. And I followed it closely because there was this long delineated process in terms of you had to write to say you wanted to be on to speak. And then you got this response back, yes, you can be on to speak, fill out this form. And then it came back again saying that you got to make sure that you don't address this and this and this and stay on the subject. And three days before it was scheduled on January 28th, I got another text from the Mississippi Part of Education that said, we are taking, we're putting back all the strike throughs that were taken out of the curriculum because that's why 66 people signed up to speak. They were going to speak through the strike throughs. So basically the strategy was now y'all don't have nothing to talk about. Right. <laughs> so, so 66 people showed up only 20, but 25 decided not to speak to the issues because of that promise that the strike throughs were taken out. Most of those pa people were parents. 
and they were not parents of color. Most of those people who spoke were just excited and enraged that we were going to have something in a curriculum that would teach people that one group is better than the other. And that's what I heard reverberating through that. And there were other people there with me who heard the same thing. So part of what is going on now is, I think, uh, deliberate obfuscation uh, in, in terms of the, the common person who will not do the reading. And I'm not trying to denigrate again, but we know that 67% of Americans are illiterate. They don't read and write any more than they have to. And then they have to be interested in it when they do. So, so all of the things that are coming out now is trying to put something, and you were right about it, I think, in the beginning. It's trying to put something out there that will incite a certain group of people as these upcoming elections, everything connects, as these upcoming elections are before us. And as we're already talking about the current presidency. And I don't care if you are not political, apolitical at all. You live in a country where you have to pay attention. And I think that's all in the basket in terms of trying to make sure that there's so much going on out there. And even my favorite senator and I had a large conversation because I was asking him about something in the bill. You know what he told me? Dr. Anderson, I don't have time to read all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we are. <laughs> we, we don't want to get started on that part. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I think Dr. Anderson hit the nail on the head. You know that that hearing revealed a lot. You know, was eye opening for me uh, because she hit the nail on the head with the with the with the statistics about literacy. And I like the term illiteracy. You know, it's not like that that they couldn't you know read and comprehend. They just choose not to and, and don't and choose not to when they don't have to. Uh, and I think that 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 speaks to what we're actually debating uh, in these spaces. Is this idea um, that um, number one, you know, when we talk about uh, public school teaching, we talk about K-12 and then IHL, you know, you know, discourse, academic discourse, uh, race and racism and the history of racism in this country is a very difficult subject to parse uh, in terms of the passions it, 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 you know, engenders in people uh, uh, and, and how much race and racism characterize you know, our contemporary reality in the history of our country. Uh, and, and so um, I'll be the first to acknowledge that that this is not an easy subject to talk about in classrooms, but I will also be the first to champion that is a must, especially if we want to talk about history, we want to talk about social studies instruction, we want to talk about civic engagement, we want to talk about Mississippi schools. It is a must that we interrogate the racial history and the racial reality of this of this state, and it's a must that we support the teachers uh, and professors uh, in doing so. Uh, basically, what we're what, what we're seeing is a, a movement to just basically quench all discussion of race and racism, uh, especially in, in, if it's going to connect race and racism to the institutions, to the systemic realities of our country and and so uh so we have to be vigilant in making sure that we protect the academic freedom of teachers and students and protect the academic enterprise in our classrooms uh, throughout our state because without that you know will our students be equipped to address the generations long challenges we've seen here in mississippi uh time and time again falling along racial lines especially so so i think that's what we're seeing here is 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 a backlash against any type of instruction or interrogation of race and racism in the history and the reality of this state i i agree and with that being said going back to the literacy part there are a lot of people that don't understand what critical race theory is and they are being they're being um, incited, enraged, and um, being told what to think. A lot of people are being told what it is. And it's really just bleeding into truly just history. You know, like that's what we're fighting against. As, as uh, Mr. Spears said, like it's the history of this country. It's not a theory, you know, like to, to say that the 1890 Constitution was was formulated to prevent black people from voting in Mississippi 
that is fact. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a fact. That's not critical race theory. And that that could be, I guess, formulated into critical race theory because it, you can use the statistics to show that people, black, black people virtually didn't vote until um, the 1960s, until the passing of the Voting Rights Act. Um, and that you can you can definitely tie those numbers from Reconstruction into the civil, modern civil rights movement, but those things are fact. And the senators and politicians who wrote those things down, they wrote it down because they believed in it. Like Governor Governor Vardaman believed that, you know. Um, even Senator Jay Z George believed that. Like he believed that Mississippi should be a state for led by white men. Period. They wrote that down. So there's no theory to that. You know, theories can be debated. This cannot be debated. Um, and this is just straight. It's honestly just straight facts. It's straight history. And I think that it's quite funny how they're putting feelings into this now. They're trying to tie feelings into history. Um, but nobody cared about my feelings. I don't speak for me. Growing up when we were talking about slavery, you know, nobody cared about how they portrayed that, you know, well, there were some good masters, even though there's no such thing as a good master, right? You own people. Um, also, nobody cared about my feelings when a teacher of mine asked me, hey, uh, uh, John, do you mind if we kind of skip over the civil rights movement and move into the Cold War uh, era? You know, but I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know if we have enough time to really talk about the civil rights movement. And me being a high school sophomore had to tell him, I, you know, I think that we can actually blend in both. I think they work together. Uh, you could definitely you utilize both because they were around the same time, sir. You know, like I'm a, I'm technically I'm a child at that point. <laughs> Try telling a grown person how to teach their class. You know, so I, I just think it's it's funny, and and they but but you see a lot of folks and you know passionate about it's my heritage. This is my this it's not of hate. You know, we should keep these symbols of, of divisiveness up. But they're saying that learning about history itself is divisive, but they're actually upholding a whole confederacy that was on the, like built on dividing people. You know, it's, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I want to just to piggyback on what Mr. Spann is saying is, is he's hitting on a, a very important subject. Um, about you know the quality of of, of, of teaching uh, throughout the state. Uh, you know I mentioned earlier how difficult it is for many good teachers of history and, and other social studies areas uh, to teach about race and racism. Mainly it's because the resources uh, are, are aren't uh, readily available as they should be, nor has the preparation that they've had to get to that point been as strong as it needed to be in order to address the needs that we have in Mississippi. And Mr. Spann raises the point about the Confederacy and, and the history of Confederate um, uh, ideology uh, that was that is dominant in, in Mississippi. And, and, and it was because of who was able to write the narrative. Uh, we you know, you know this idea of uh, uh, Mississippi having, you know, con Confederate sensibilities and sensitivities. Who was who actually had those sensibilities and sensitivities? But was it uh, a citizens like like Mr. Span growing up here in Mississippi? Was it somebody like a Dr. Anderson, or was it somebody like like you said, a, a Governor Jay Z George, or or Governor Vardaman, who who had these Confederate sympathies, uh, and then enacted them upon a broad swath of American of a Mississippi citizenry? Uh, when we talk about history. There's an academic discipline of history, okay? It's just not whatever you want it to be. You know, valid history, you know, is 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 rigorous. Valid history is corroborated. Valid history is is researched and peer reviewed, uh, and and is and is substantiated with with actual truth claims and facts. You know, and so when we see claims being made, like for instance, what Dr. Anderson mentioned, the the, the MDE hearings. A lot of those claims, a lot of those parents were making were not substantiated by academic facts, you know, and and, and but because they had voice, because they showed up in mass and because they stated loudly, didn't make it true, didn't make those claims valid, you know, but we see that happening over and over again in, in, in a lot of our discourse, our public discourse about the state's history, 
and in the history uh, in general because we have not uh, invested in a robust, strong history, social studies, civic engagement set of state standards and local curricula in order to equip our citizens to actually engage and interrogate some of these concepts. Uh, when we talk about Confederate memorials, that's not history. Confederate memorials are propaganda. And the reason why they are is because if you actually look at a Confederate memorial and you actually look at some of the inscriptions on some of these things, you will see that it's, it's a history that is not backed up by facts. It is, it is a whitewashed claim about a lost cause of the Confederacy. You know, and, and in reality, you know, the Confederacy was about white supremacy. We can look at primary source documentation to verify that the Confederacy, over and over again, even when after secession, after these states started documenting and, and creating uh, articles of secession and articles of, of, of Confederacy, they make it plain. You know, this is a white man's land, and it, and it's and it's a white man, and it, God's given right for white people to rule, and 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 the Negro cannot, you know, doesn't have the mental and intellectual capacity to to be dip diplomatic and to be uh, uh to be able to plan out, you know, societies and to be able to govern money and things of that nature. That's what these things are being put into articles of secession and articles of confederation, uh, in various states around the Confederacy. That's history. That's documented fact. But to have a Confederate memorial put up in front of a state capitol talking about the valiant efforts of so-and-so and so-and-so Confederate general doesn't include that aspect of what the Confederate general was fighting for. And okay, so, so that, that definition is propaganda. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, look, you can preach next Sunday at my church, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> In, in terms of, of what, because we have people listening to us that we want to put some clarity to, in terms of what Mississippi is doing, I think that's your next question, isn't it? It, it, it is one I, of them. I brought them, you but... into that by taking you to the, taking you to the meeting mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of that. I, I don't want us to, to leave without having a conversation that addresses what teachers are going to face with this. Right, right. And so everyone, each one of you hit on this. And I think, John, uh, your your personal story about what happened to you in that, that class, I think, is is really important um, because we absolutely uh, know that this is going to have an impact on uh, educators, specifically black educators and black students. And so, um, and John, it sounds like even before something like this happens, um, this sort of narrative and these sort of ideas and beliefs had an impact on you as a as a young student. Um, so, in your in your opinion, you know what what do you believe the impact will be on uh, black students and black educators across the state? So, personally, growing up, I did not, and I went to private school, um, and I and I will have talked to them boldly about this and have been asked to speak, come back and give back in various ways to the school. And I've just blatantly told them, like growing up and going to school there, I was not, I did not know who I was as a black person. I did not, um, I didn't get it from them. I had to get it from my family, from um, get bits and pieces of information from, you know, friends or, or reading. But um, as, <laughs> Uh, I had I found that more and more I had to actually seek it out in college. Like when I was actually a you know history major, I had to find it for myself. And I thank God I had professors like uh, Dr. Michael Vincent Williams, who wrote uh, Mega Evers Mississippi Martyr as one of my professors and, and mentors. But um, I think that it is it, going to be a huge detriment to not only black children, but to everyone to not get a full scope of history, a full scope of American history. Black history is is not, should be separate, you know? It should be integrated into the curriculum as uh, anything else would be. Um, like I was saying, like the Cold War and the Civil Rights Movement do go hand in hand. The Red Scare and the Civil Rights Movement do go hand in hand. Um, it, it is, it's, 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 those students that were like me in private schools or majority white um, areas, but also schools that are majority black, but they don't have the resources 
or the, the teacher teaching wasn't educated on these subjects or how to bring these subjects to the classroom. So there, it's not even that they wouldn't do it. It's almost like they just didn't know, you know? So the more, I think this with anything, the more that students are uh, uh, brought forth with more information, the more they're connected to information, the better. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, there's uh, a backlash to this understanding of history because now young students do have that connection to information. They are on the internet. They are challenging um, teachers. Like, you know, growing up, like I, me, I, like it was, it was very odd for a student to challenge a teacher. But now you hear that more and more students are actually questioning teachers and saying, well, this is not what it says. We got Google right in our pocket. So, um, you know, it's, it's not only them challenging, but it's them longing for more understanding. And if we don't give them that, uh, we're going to continue to repeat the same things and continue to breed a, another race of ignorance. And we want to make sure that we have a full scope of who we are. And we can't do that without sharing everyone's story. And, and Dr. Dr. Anderson, I would love to hear from you just with your background um, in education and, uh, you know, what do you what do you feel like the impact will be on our students and teachers across the state? There, there are a couple of things at the end that, that I want to add to this whole conversation. But on behalf of teachers, having not only trained teachers, but having to go out and observe teachers in the classroom. And then as an education consultant, I, I go with school districts and do evaluations. We've got to understand the core issue here. The person in the classroom, whether she's black, white, pink, or purple, first of all, has to be knowledgeable about the subject in order to take it anywhere outside of the textbook. And that's, that's what this is betting on. This is saying, this is the curriculum. I don't know if you saw Senate Bill 2113, the one in, in the House died, but, but that bill came out of, 20, uh, Senate Bill came out of 2113. There are penalties written into the law that says to Karina Anderson, I don't care how much you know, if you're in the classroom and you decide to give an, an example and ad lib outside of what we put in this guide, you can be penalized. If, you're, if your uh, principal and your superintendent doesn't do anything about it, we will take funds from that school district. That's, that's how crucial this is in terms of the end of, the, of this. The teachers who are in the classroom now, a lot of them are leaving a lot of the really really seasoned ones are leaving the newer ones are coming in and they're giving a package it's called a curriculum guide if you look in the curriculum guide that's what they're supposed to prepare their lessons for and in some of the school districts they have an assistant principal who will go through your lesson plans to see what it is you're planning to teach next week and so all of that is designed to tie the hands of people who may have a little extra knowledge now as chairman of the google my friend that's, that puts another subject on the table, teaching kids how to check the validity of sources and, and whether or not this is really valid information. So this is creating a whole nother conundrum in terms of the teachers that are in the classroom. And then when you go back through and you say something like in US history, President Hoover's policies of rugged individualism and trickle-down economics should be taken out. Uh, in U.S. history, there are no objectives dealing with Jim Crow policies, uh, racial terrorism, or the lynchings that characterize much of society. They're taking that out. Uh, in Mississippi studies, students will no longer be asked to analyze the trends and records of poverty and wealth distribution in the state. You're taking out key pieces that help to prepare a citizen for dealing with her state and her country. And then you're saying to our students, and the teachers are not allowed to do anything extra, you're saying to our students, okay, if you wanna take a test and you wanna to go to the University of Michigan, you're gonna, you're gonna miss so much. They took out the whole section of reconstruction in one of those. You're gonna miss a lot of the basic history of the country, not just of Mississippi. And, and so in terms of the teachers, if I was going into the teaching field now, plus y'all not paying me anything, <laughs> I, would, I would find myself another avenue to, to do something and then your children mississippi be damned you know that's, that's true mm -hmm. I, and to, to piggyback off what you said it's 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 also kind of contradictory about mississippi after they've put so much money into creating 
a huge edifice towards its history in the two Mississippi museums. And they have a whole civil rights museum and the Museum of Mississippi History also talks about the ills of the state. It is not like black and white. I know a lot of people came in and think it was a black museum, white museum. No, both museums work together to show the, the triumphs and the failures and the heartaches and the pains and the, and the, you know, the wins of Mississippi. And a lot of that has to do with racism. A lot of that has to do with the civil rights movement. A lot of that has to do with the reversal of reconstruction in this state. Right. It's not is we can we're, we can talk about other states, but we're in Mississippi. So uh, I just think that it is very contradictory how they put so much money into putting these huge edifices and and is touted as the world. The, excuse me, the state's largest classroom. And there's a lot of educating and learning going on in those spaces. And those museum professionals and I was one was were actually helping students understand and also helping teachers help them connect the dots. And now you now they're not going to be actually going back to school and actually being reinforced that. So you're going to have more parents and students coming in being like, that's not true when we know it's true. And they're going to be questioning it as a museum professional. We got a lot of that coming in where pe people are like, well, I didn't learn that in my high school history books. Now, these are people who were born in like 1950, 1960, you know, and they were you know, they were disputing it. And of course, they didn't learn that in their history books. But now it should be in their history books. Now it should be taught. Now there are more, I mean, there are more movies about things um, that are educating uh, people about history. So it is It is very funny and contradictory how Mississippi is doing one thing, you know, while, while doing another. And, and, and to also add to what John is saying, you know, in 2006, the state actually passed a civil rights education law that said mandated civil rights and human rights education in, in the state's K-12 uh, schools, you know? And so, and, and since then there's been progress. Now we've progressed in terms of, you know, getting the narratives out, uh, the local narratives about, you know, civil rights heroes who, who are still in community even today. You know, my son is, 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 is seven years old and he's doing a, a project for Black History Month on James Meredith. And I, and, I, and I tell people, you can actually go and talk to James Meredith. <laughs> you know, he, he likes to hang out, you know, at, at, at sometimes at the Kroger on I-55 here in, in Jackson. Uh, and I've seen him around and I've had conversations with him. And I'm trying to set up where he can actually meet my son and my son can actually meet this man that he's been reading about for the past two or three weeks. You know, and, and so th th those valuable resources that we have at our disposal, not only the law, not only the opportunity to do it in the classroom, but also the actual heroes and sheroes are still alive in many instances and still doing a lot of great things in communities around the state. And it, it seems if, if something like this would pass, it would be set us back. Uh, I, I think it would actually set us back rather than progress. You know, uh, uh, John mentioned the idea of those two history museums in the, in the state of Mississippi. Those are world-renowned museums, you know, especially for Mississippi, you know, considering the context in which Mississippi is in, uh, uh, you know, to actually now create a, a bill that kind of curbs all of that. And, and, and not to mention the subjective nature of how this would ever be enforced. You know, uh, what we see around the country where you know, this thing is resulting in book bans. We see around the country where laws similar have already passed, where, where teachers are being fired and reprimanded for talking about basic concepts in history. Um, and I think one of the most important ideas that, that we can discuss in Mississippi's history is uh, something that's been brushed on a couple of times this morning in our conversation. The, the, the 1890 Constitution and, and, and the Reconstruction backlash that resulted from it, it had really kind of it characterizes what we see today a lot of times around Mississippi. And, and if we can't critically engage that concept, critically engage that document and critically engage the subsequent policies and practices uh, that helped shape not only the, the civil rights movement as we knew it, but even coming out of that. Uh, we are missing a vital part of equipping our young people to address some of these challenges that we're facing going forward. So, so it would be a massive step back, I think, to to pass a, a bill like that. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Mm -hmm. And uh, just you know, for the sake of time, you know, for in in your opinion, you know, how do we ensure that 
you know, an accurate accounting of Mr. Mississippi's history is taught here in the state. And Mr. Spears, you, you hit on an excellent point because we do have so many of our our leaders and so many people that we, we can read about in the history book that you can walk into Kroger and you can see them or that uh, they may be sitting in a pew uh, at church. Um, and, and so, you know, some people have access to that. Some people don't. Um, because I, I I remember learning about James Meredith from my grandma and then graduating from University of Mississippi. It was surreal the first time that I met him because, you know, this is somebody that I learned about as civil rights history as a kid. But here I am meeting him and I do see him at Kroger all the time um, and I'm still starstruck. Uh, but uh, so so in your opinion, you know, how do we ensure that we we have an accurate accounting? Uh, of, of Mississippi, Mississippi's history. Let me do that, and and excuse me because I feel like the ten wise virgins, virgins, and the ten foolish ones. My, I didn't have my computer plugged in, <laughs> and I went out on you. But let let me just try to help help with that because that's burning in my soul. In terms of my favorite historian for these guys who are into history, is Arnold Toynbee. And Honor Toynbee's theory basically is history repeats itself in cycles. And what you need to do is to know where you were then so you know where you are now. And, and, and that's my interpretation of Arnold. In, in terms of that, instead of sitting here going, oh, woe is me and what is happening to us and what are these people trying to do? We have come so far as a people and people coming with us of other races too that we have the strong resiliency to prepare ourselves. And what we need to understand is where we are now is where we were then. So we know, I'm looking at two gentlemen and, I, and there are hundreds of us out there who know what to teach and, and who know how to make the connections. And that's what our people do, we make connections. And we know how to make those connections. And we have the freedom schools, we have the Sunday schools, we have the Saturday schools, we have the evening schools. And, and, and now we've got this wonderful thing called Zoom <laughs> that, that we can start looking, not waiting for somebody to do something to us, but preparing ourselves to do something for us. And, and that is in terms of starting with small sessions and even the church, you know, when I go to church, my husband is staunch Baptist, I'm staunch Catholic. When I go to church and hear preachers preach, they preach up a storm and people are fixated on, on the preacher. Start dropping some of those pieces back into your conversations. We've got to start teaching and preaching from where we are and stop worrying about what they fit and do going to get ready to do to us because that is not who we are as an educated people. We didn't come this far to let people walk and trot. We have now got to find new ways to deal with our youth and to teach these pieces. And if the 1890 constitution is burning in your soul, my brother, then you figure out a way to help get on a Saturday class and talk to people about it. Because it's not in that social studies curriculum. I hope you've gone through the whole thing. On that 300 pages, it ain't there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in terms of, of doing that, that's what I'm saying. Let's get ready. You know, it's a new battle. It, you know, it's, it's not in the streets with my son said, black power and hands in the air, mama, like you used to do. But it's it's kind of, it's like all right now what do we do before the storm hits us? Yeah, I I agree. Um, and it, to piggyback off what Miss um, Spears said, you've got to if you know if you know what to do and you know how to find these people, set up a way where they can meet them, meet these people who are still living, and they can tell their own story. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful thing when you walk into the uh, Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, and you can see Hezekiah Watkins, who is the youngest uh, freedom rider arrested. And it's, it's you know, you, he's right there. He's not mm -hmm. dead. You know, a lot of those students coming in, they're thinking that everybody on those walls are dead, you know, but then they actually can see this man and that he's not on a cane, he's not on a breathing machine. He's right there, live in color, and can tell them his story. Um, they can't take that away, you know? And as, as, as Dr. Anderson said, we, we've got to be more proactive. Um, reading is essential. Reading is vital. Um, and, you know, all this stuff about banning books, let's, if we want to be honest with you, I mean, that's, that's un-American. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, it's, uh, that's un-American. Um, and so 
you know, the more you get on knowledge, the more that you uh, uh, inundate yourself with, the more exposure you have, the more well-rounded you would be. Um, so that that goes to even like things from like swimming or like if you have a time, a chance to get on a skiing trip, go skiing. You know what I'm saying? Go see the world, go travel and put yourself in situations that you wouldn't necessarily be in Jackson, Mississippi to, to, to help you understand how the world is and then connecting the dots back to who you are um, and who who you who who you were or like who your ancestors were and how they saw the world. Um, I just think it's vital, as Dr. Anderson said, to go out and get it. This It's out there. Google is in our pocket and also learn how to research so you can decipher and have discernment on what's true and what's fake. Because to be honest with you, there there's a lot of fake news out there. <laughs> And, and and I think um, these are some excellent points. Um, uh, and I, I've been a champion of Saturday schools for for a while now um, uh, because because we have so many of our public schools that sit just empty on Saturday mornings in our communities, and we have you know a lot of people like in our churches who are complaining that our young people don't know the history, our young people don't know their, their you know who they are. And I was like, well, hey, you know, well let's let's teach them. You know, mm -hmm. they'll let, let, let's put up, let, let's let's put pen to paper and let's mm -hmm. get them in the place and, and let's give them what they need. Other cultures do it. You have you have Hebrew schools, you have Greek schools, you know, you know. And so and so we need to do it, especially here in Mississippi, because we talk about a state that's almost 40 percent black. You're talking about the state with the most local elected officials of African-American. Uh, we need to be able to take hold of our democracy in a way that's going to empower us and work for us. Uh, and, and in doing so. Uh, uh, we have to take advantage of the resources that are available. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that opportunities do present themselves that the challenge is it, where's the intentionality? Where's the will? You know, oftentimes some of my hardest struggles and and, and I don't know if I mentioned, you know, for, for a very long time, uh, I worked at the State Department of Education as a state social studies director. And one of the hardest challenges that, that, that I had uh, in getting some of these things done at, at, at the state level was talking to uh, African-American educators sometimes. And, and and talking about the challenges that presented themselves in communities that they were serving and, and you know and them losing the broader vision of the po of possibility you know the possibilities of what you could do in your school what you can do in your community in terms of having a classroom having kids having books you know as, as outdated they may be but as as, as 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 john talked about you have google in your pocket these kids are are tech are tech natives, so to speak, not necessarily as, as tech savvy they possibly could be, but they are tech natives. You know, let's 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 utilize some of those resources in ways that can actually be relevant and relative to them. You know, you know, mm -hmm. too often times I saw where they were banning phones in schools. You know, in schools that serve children of color around the state, uh, rather than trying to see how they can utilize those resources in a way to get that kind of information and those kind of ways of thinking to them through those devices. You know, it happens in other schools, it happens in other states. How come it can't happen here? You know, and so so I, I think that uh, that we're right, whether they pass the bill or not, um, the, the information is out there, the opportunity is out there. We just have to have the intentionality to make it happen for our children in our community. And real quick, just a shameless plug, one of the most, the, the most extensive uh, libraries on all Mississippi history, all things in Mississippi history, is the Department of Archives and History, the Archives Building, the William Winter Archives Building, and it's free. You can walk in there for free, get a library card for free, and you can go read about these things that we have been talking about for free. If you want to get a copy of it, it's a menial cost, but this is something that the state of Mississippi is offering to her, uh, her citizens. And so you may not get it in the, in the school, but you can go read it. And also for teachers, if you need primary sources to help pack that punch that you're trying to drive home in your history class, you can get these sources. On, uh, you can digitize them. You can get them digitized. You can find photographs. All these things are at your disposal. They just probably not readily talked about, but they also have programs to help educate folks on how to use the library, how to research your genealogy, how to find these things that are not uh, readily available. So I just want to put that resource out there. Let me be the devil's advocate here. We're talking about Mississippi and we're talking about a large percentage of poor people. We're also talking about, and, and I can talk about them because I are one, 
and we, we're talking about teachers, motivated, unmotivated, I'm here for the day kind of teachers. Why don't you, because you are young and brilliant, put it on the table that you have mobile history labs every once in a while that goes out into the community and take some, take some of those pieces, to take it to the streets. We, we've got to come up with a new paradigm because it ain't working, y'all. In terms, and I know the museums are there. I, you know, I've been every time my family comes, they get tired of me because the, the young ones have to come. You know, they don't have a choice <laughs> in terms of that because I want them to know Mississippi history. Because although they live in fifty other states, they actually they actually need to know Mississippi history. But how about that? How about just a small experiment? You know, there's money out there to do that. You can write grant proposals, uh, and we, I can find you some teachers that you can use as trainees. And, and help you to get started on that. But we've got to do right. we've, we've got to do some different things because most of our children are going to miss everything that you young men were inundated and inculcated with. You know, you roll it off your tongues just like just like it's conversation. How do we get our young ones interested in that kind of thing? We got to take it to them. That's that's a good question because my cousins who were uh like well, one cousin just graduated, another cousin is graduating from Tougaloo this this year in May. They are math and engineering. They they when I start talking about history and start educating stuff, they're like, man, we don't want that history lesson. We 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 want that history lesson. So I'm like, I'm trying to do it with my own family and they giving me flack. So like, you know, it's it, but it's also a way, it's also a better way that I can do it. I'm not gonna sit here and blame it on them. There's a better way that I could reach them, and I got to keep trying. Start with black mathematicians and black engineers. There you go. That's a that's an excellent point, in in John, it's a that's a real situation, and so I would I would love to see uh, what what comes out of this, and you know how we can help um, and uh, facilitate this and support this. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it um, because I do think it's important, uh, and it was it was important. Um, in my life, um, as I mentioned before, I, I was the baby. And so I was stuck with my grandma all the time. And so I was her captive audience, uh, whether I liked it or not at times. But it did stick with me. And later down the road, it was unlocked for me um, at my time in college. And so uh, I do think it's important. And I do think sometimes, though young people are not responsive, it's in there. Um, and they're just waiting for um, you know someone to water it, and then it will grow. Uh, but this was an excellent conversation. I know we're coming on time and you all are very important and busy folks. And so I don't want to hold you all day, um, but I really do appreciate this. I think this was incredibly insightful and I think it's going to be really helpful. And I think people are really going to enjoy listening to this. And so um, before we close out, do you, do you all have any closing comments, anything that you want to add to the already uh, robust knowledge that you've dropped on us? And so I want to give you this time to just add a little something else if you if you feel led to. I just want to say so we can have another piece to go away with. The secretary, the uh, superintendent of education said, and she said it a couple of times, but it's true because I did the research. There's only one school in the whole state that has a class in critical race theory, and that's at the University of Mississippi. Critical race theory is not taught in our schools. The information we're talking about is history, as Brother Chauncey said. It's about Mississippi history. It's about the United States history. That's what's being taught in the schools. People need to know that. And, 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 I, and I just want to want to leave with the idea that um, the primary uh, function of, of our public schools and the, and the reason why I think they're worth the investment that we put into them is to strengthen our citizenry for participatory democracy. We can't lose sight of that reality uh, that John mentioned earlier, uh, the idea of, of all of his cousins being engineers and, and, and STEM and all, and all those things. And that's well and fine. But everybody, every citizen that's born, whether you're going to be a teacher, or engineer, uh, a lawyer, sanitation worker, whatever you're going to be, you're going to have to have a civic understanding. And if you want, you know, your democracy to work for you, you're going to have to participate. And this, and our schools, our classrooms are the training grounds and the breeding grounds where we cultivate a strong citizenry for a robust engagement in our democracy. And so to the degree that we're curbing that and we're limiting that and we're taking that away, 
it's to the degree that our democracy crumbles right behind it. So, so this is the connection we have to make. We have to put before our people is that our schools are where our democracy is incubated, and we have to keep those schools that that mission of our schools as a priority, regardless of whatever else we think we can utilize them for. Um, and I'll I'll leave with this: that education is a right uh, for all, and so whether it's critical race theory or a history, we have the right to understand it and know it. And um, we are, the, the civil rights movement never ended. We're still in it. And so with that being said, you have to continue to keep fighting for your right to educate yourself um, to to um, and to educate your family and your children. Um, it's not going away. Racism is not dead. And so you have to know who you are and in order to be a better society and uh, don't let that don't let them take it away from you keep fighting excellent excellent thank you all so much um thank you so much for what you shared i know this is going to be helpful um, not only to our listeners but to the state of mississippi and so without further ado um, thank you for your time thank you for joining us uh, for another episode of mississippi speaks until next time